0: Welcome to another episode of Tusk Talk. I'm your host, Sean O'Brien. Uh, I think this is episode 5. Um, I don't think we ever got uh, Under Siege to go up to 5. I know we got Police Academy 4, uh, Citizens on Patrol, but I don't know if we ever got up to 5. Can anyone... Uh, like 7. 7? Okay.
1: 6 or 7. Mission to Moscow was like 6 or 7 in the Police Academy movies, so you got plenty there. Okay. Police Academy went to Moscow?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm joined by uh, fellow Tufts, Sean French, uh, many-time Star City Games, top eight finisher Sean French. I'm also one-time. I'm also joined by uh, two-time top eight, uh, wait, no, one-time top eight Star City finisher, wrestling aficionado, barbecue expert, and all-around Southern gentleman, uh, Zach Wilson for the first time. So welcome. Good morning, everyone. Um, so we had a, a, an agenda today to talk about uh, a few things. We're going to cover the vintage ban and restricted announcement. Well, I guess just restricted, when we're talking about vintage. Um, and I guess we can talk about it from a legacy perspective, too, that nothing was unbanned. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about any recent finishes that we might have had. Uh, and uh, Zach just returned from Texas, so we'll talk about the differences between Texas barbecue and... Uh, and, let's say, Georgia barbecue. Um, and for those of you who live outside the southern United States, you may be completely ignorant of uh, the differences in the uh, various styles. So, so, Zach, you got back from uh, WrestleMania yesterday. Uh, did you have an opportunity to eat barbecue in Texas?
1: I ate a large amount of barbecue in Texas. Uh, not as much as I would have liked, but then again, I would have eaten it for every meal the entire trip. So, you know, have so to speak for- to other people's food desires
0: occasionally. So for people who are totally ignorant of the difference between what you might get in the in a random shack in Texas versus uh, <laughs> some random hell hole in rural Georgia, what, what's the primary difference?
1: The biggest thing is that uh, Texas is the only place as far as I'm aware, where the primary focus is beef. That's not to say they don't have you know chicken or pork or whatnot, but you know in most places, Carolinas, Georgia, uh, Memphis Kansas City even well Kansas City's more sauce than anything else but whatever uh, you know the focus is on pork whether it's it's you know Boston butt or ribs or or whole hog Carolina style but with beef uh, like uh, beef brisket and uh, beef ribs to a certain degree and uh, sausage which is made from just an amalgam of glorious animal parts uh, are kind of the main focuses and they are delicious it turns out
0: yeah, I haven't been in a while, but I remember going to UT to visit my friend a number of times and um, having beef brisket and beef ribs and thinking they were awesome, and then getting them uh, in other places like Atlanta and thinking that they tasted like something that somebody dragged out of a fucking dumpster, like <laughs> greasy as hell, like not no flavor on them. They were terrible. So there, there has to be some magic in it.
1: I've had some beef done. Well, in Georgia, um, there are some places around Atlanta that do brisket really well, but, um, you know, like I say, brisket is a Texas thing. Like, the brisket there was better than I've had it anywhere else, and we were in Dallas, so, I mean, the the real institution city from what I understand of Texas is Lockhart, which I believe is just outside of Austin, but there are a bunch of places that all kind of do that style all over the state, because Texas is bigger than most of the countries in the world, so, you know, you get it everywhere, but... Um, you know, the, and a lot of them do pork, and the pork is good, but it's still not quite as good as, like, the pork havens. Like, if you're in Memphis, you're going to get better ribs there than anywhere else. Sorry, Kansas City, deal with it.
0: Um, yeah, Memphis. A,
1: but if you're in Texas, beef is the thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is it, is, uh, is it heavy on the sauce, or is it uh, longest, dry? For the longest time, they
1: didn't have sauce. Like in It's Texas? more of a recent thing where, like, people demanded sauce, but, like, the really old institutions just tell you to piss up a rope if you even want any sauce. They're like oh, we don't okay. do that. It's just it's meat, smoke, whatever we put on it. You know, deal with it. Um, yeah, if, like you, if you
0: ask for sauce in like if you ask for sauce in Memphis, sometimes you, they look at you like you have a fucking unicorn. Born, like. <laughs> it's kind of it's
1: kind of uh kind of a similar thing. It doesn't go by institution as much. The places we went had sauce now, but it was all very much, like, at the table, you know, do it yourself. It wasn't, like, in a lot of establishments and other places where the sauce is integrated into the whole process. Um, You know, Memphis has a whole wet ribs, dry ribs thing, but, uh, uh, you know, Texas, everything, from what I could tell, basically was cooked dry, and then if you want the sauce later, then fine, but I never used it that much, other than just to try it, because you don't... If it's done properly, you don't need the sauce.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm a... I'm a guy who feels like sauce is usually just trying to mask some deficiency in the meat. You know, sauce is like, um, I don't know, it's it's usually too sweet. I'm not looking for sweet in my uh, my smoked meats. I'm looking right. for the flavor of the rub, and I'm looking for, you know, the meat sort of to shine, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, whether or not it's pork or whether it's beef. Yeah, putting sauce on top of a on top of a thing you've spent, I don't know, fourteen hours lording over is is just terrible in my opinion. Kind like, of you know.
1: I don't mind the principle of sauce itself. Like I like barbecue sauce in a vacuum and I think I, I typically like it in a lot of areas that where you're not eating barbecue but you're eating like grilled food in some other capacity or just as a condiment for food that is mediocre otherwise. But when it comes to actually, you know, eating barbecue, like, for the most part, I'm more okay with it with pork or, you know, if it's in an establishment that specifically is giving you that, but it should still always be optional. Um, And the best places I've had it have both meat that is independently really good and sauce that is independently really good, but that you don't need the sauce to make the meat edible. If you need the sauce to make the meat edible, you have done it wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I know Virginia is for lovers. Is there any decent barbecue up in the fucking woods of Roanoke where you live now, Sean?
2: Yeah, I just had barbecue today. It probably isn't up to your guys' standards, but there's a place that I don't like nearby that just opened up like a year ago.
0: My standards are my fucking backyard, and I'm like once you've had my barbecue, then sort of everything else is...
2: Yeah, they don't make it in your backyard here.
0: It's pretty rare for an off-the-shelf barbecue place to do it better than you can if you have your own decent smoker just because they're looking to churn through more meat than, you know, you can ever hope to throw off your own smoker. So you end up getting a butt that's, you know, not not quite there yet.
2: Um, I really like the pulled pork that they make here. I like how it's, I guess, dry. You have your, you know, all your sauces yeah, yeah. at the table, but they don't. I really cringe whenever somebody's like, oh, hey, come on over. We're having barbecue. Like, you'll get there, and there will just be like a tub that's like barbecue sauce with some little pieces of meat in it. Yeah, that's an awkward social position to be in. Like a coleslaw type of consistency? (laughs) Like, I don't want that, no. A lot of
1: the times when I've seen that happen, it's been like people have cooked it in a crock pot or something. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to have some
0: barbecue. Wait, no, you're not. Oh, like when the, right. guy po- the guy opens his fucking oven and he's like, I made spare ribs and I barbecued them. And he, he pulls them out of his <laughs> yeah. fucking oven. You're like, what are you? Do you is this the Lucky Buddha? Like, what, those aren't fucking barbecue ribs,
1: you <laughs> ask <clown." laughs> like, It might be really good. It's just calling it barbecue is not accurate at all. Like, that's just not what it is.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. There was this fucking chain. I don't know if it's still around. It was called Tony Roma's. Oh, yeah, I remember that name. And it was, like, Tony Roma's ribs, and there was not a piece of wood to be found in the entire restaurant. They just (laughs) shoved the ribs in, in, like, a 400-degree oven and just fucking scalded them to a million degrees and served them, and it was fucking dog shit. And living in the Northeast, that's all I ever knew, was these fucking shitty-ass Goodfellas fucking ribs that these Italian (laughs) guys had made, and I was like, this all sucks. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when I moved down here, I was like, "Oh, yeah, we're going to get barbecue." And I was like, "Okay." Um, and there was a shack down off of uh, by the Techwood Housing Projects that—that's how you know that, yeah. It served, you know, barbecue. It may or may not have been run by Abdul the Butcher. I can't remember, but um, <laughs> the I was like, Time out, Why, like, you know, why does this taste this way? And why is the, you know, why is the flavor different? What, why is this meat?" just the, like, nectar of the gods. What, what has happened to this meat to make it so tender? I can just, you know, cut it with a with a cinder block. And, and then I was introduced <laughs> to Southern Barbecue, and I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And then, you know, as you live in the South, longer and longer, you get all the different... You realize that a true Southern gentleman can smoke almost anything, any cut of meat, just about as long as it has some semblance of fat you can make it taste better by covering it in uh, carcinogens, and that's what smoking meats yeah. are all about. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, if you got fat and, and some connective tissue in there, you can smoke it and make it better. Uh, I mean, that's the biggest reason why we never went to a steakhouse while we were in Texas for WrestleMania, is it was like we could go to a steakhouse and spend $50 on, like, a 10-ounce steak that might be delicious, but steak is all about what you don't do to it. It's like get a really, really good piece of meat, do very little to it, and feed it to someone. And, like, I would rather pay the same amount of money for a gigantic trough of, you know, what starts out as just tough shit that gets smoked and becomes delicious based on the hard work of the people involved. And, you know, spend the same amount of money on, like, three pounds of amazing rather than, you know, one steak at some fancy place with cloth napkins.
0: Yeah, yeah. Barbecue is the art of taking the shittiest cuts of meat and making them delicious. <laughs> it's kind of like, and this is a good, this is a good segue. It's kind of like workshops. Like the cards in the workshop deck are just, <laughs> they're just fucking garbage. Like no one plays them in any other deck. Like you would never play the card Tanglewire Wire in any deck. Uh, I think everyone, everyone plays Black Lotus. Yes. Well, now, that, well, <laughs> no. that's <laughs> not necessarily now true either. Yes, I. The constant refrain I heard, uh, I believe, during the first season of the Vintage Super League was that Black Lotus was some shitty card because uh, somebody didn't play it in their Workshop deck and it was not a persistent mana source. Thus, thus was a bad card, and uh, I was constantly shaking my head. I'm not understanding why six point four percent of the time you don't choose to win the game. So, I think that that's a
1: perfect example of why you should not trust. Uh, vintage Super League to make decisions regarding the ban restricted list because that reflects not having actually used that card I think um, I mean by all means tell people to you know play whatever decks they want to play like I'm not saying that they should be forced to use Lotus but um, all of the most broken starts I ever had playing Workshop involved Lotus so yeah uh, anecdotal anecdotal blah blah blah
0: I mean there are times when it is perfectly correct to Force of Will, the guard, Black Lotus. And I think that the heuristic that you can, you know, that's a tough heuristic to to figure out over time, but when you get it right, it feels really, really, really good to force Lotus and watch your opponent just crumble. It's It's typically, of course, when they have two plays, but if the Lotus is forced, they have no plays, which...
1: Yeah, I mean, the best case is yeah. if, The best case is not really Workshops, because if you're counting on the Lotus for your only mana in Workshops, you should mull that in a heartbeat. But, like, if you're on some blue deck and you were trying to go, you know, Lotus into Ponder or Preordain or whatever to find your land drop, you know, if you have one or two Cantrips and a Lotus and no lands, you still keep it, especially on the play, and then you go, you know, Cantrip, Cantrip, dig for whatever. But then if you force the Lotus, you have just Donkey Punch that person into Oblivion.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have a good set of, like, one out of every out of every 10 times that somebody should force my lotus to shut me down they only get it right like one time <laughs> yeah i believe that like i feel safe just running it out even when it's very critical
0: yeah very very few people will 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 think about it that strongly I, I guess i don't i mean seasoned vintage players will 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 definitely think about it there was a there was a uh one of the gp atlanta side events I was on a Bant deck that was like Stony Silences, Force of Wills, all the usual suspects, Noble Hierarchs, Pride Mages. I had like True Name. It was like Stony Bant, you know, like a Null Rod deck with Wastelands, Counterspells, and all that crap. And uh, I'm up against this guy. He looks really, really Euro, and like his voice is Euro. And I just, he was wearing a nice shirt. And uh, had several engaging tattoos, and I just put them on Delver, <laughs> and uh, and so he opens on Lotus, and I'm on the draw, and I just stare at him for a while, and uh, and I just force the Lotus, and he just goes go, <laughs> and he was just a, <laughs> he, he was just a broken man, and I, I beat the unholy shit out of him with a true name or some train or it could have been trained Armadon, it didn't really matter, but. So, anyway, so, so I ended up beating him, and he plays. He ends up playing Morgan, uh, our teammate Handlebars, in the next round. And uh, uh, they're talking about a previous match or whatever, and we are both wearing Tusk shirts. And they, it turns out the man was uh, Greek. And he just goes to Morgan, and he goes, Your friend, your friend Sean, he read my soul. He read... <laughs> <laughs> he stared into my eyes and read my soul and knew to force the lotus. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: You know, so sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you're a mule and you get it wrong. But
1: I mean, just... just got to know when to do it. I mean, it's like if you could force, you know, land drops. Like, how often would you force Mishra's Workshop? Yeah, that you would... Force it all of the times. Yeah, that would be
0: a... Uh, that would be something most people would force... Did you, you see know.
2: Greg's message? He's trying to join. Uh, yeah. Let me requested let me, an invite.
0: Let me see. I just mailed him one. Let me see. Oh. Greg, Greg Mitchell. Do. I'll mail him again because he's uh, he's just getting in from work. He said he's headed home now at 11 minutes. Greg, uh, Greg will be joining us shortly, and uh, he uh, he's on Pacific time, so um, he'll be a little bit later, but he probably stays up later than all of us, because uh, he's a degenerate, so, um, yeah. Um, If we're all in the same
1: time zone, he might stay up later than all of us, but, (laughs) especially if hours behind,
0: like. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, the meat of the discussion we're going to have today is the, um, uh, is around, well, the meat. Man, that was, I didn't even mean to do that, we just finished talking about barbecue, but um, the meat of the discussion will be around the and Restricted list, which, uh, announcement, which came out, uh, I guess Monday, and, um, unfortunately, depending on, well, we'll talk about whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, um, the card Lodestone Golem becomes the first creature to be restricted in Vintage, uh, I believe, since the card Ollie from Cairo, uh, which was quite, <laughs> quite some time ago. Um, there's no unbannings or bannings in Legacy, and then something about Modern, I don't really care to discuss Modern, but, uh, so, I'll get, I'll start off, I'll start us off on the, um, um, on, I guess, I guess there's some, there's a few things to cover with respect to this restriction. I would say the first topic or the first thing I want to talk about is what we think the rationale was, you know, it has to be founded on something. I think the second thing we ought to cover is, in a narrow sense, like, what's the outcome for workshop decks? And then the third thing would be, outside of the scope of workshop decks in Vintage, you know, who do we think the winners and losers are? You know, and time will tell, but we could maybe make some educated guesses on what we who we think in terms of decks, cards, sideboards, people, gods animals, are the winners and losers. So, um, the first, I'll get started on the rationale and then we can all chime in with our opinions. Uh, And I want to say it first, I don't think any of us on this cast, maybe Sean, you do, but uh, none of us play Magic Online. Is that right? I've
2: thought about it,
1: but not really.
0: Yeah, I played for like a month and then gave up. because I, I
1: definitely do not. I've never touched it. It just seems miserable. I would probably get on it if I could stop buying paper cards with all my spare money. <laughs> I mean, if, if it cost me $20 to build every deck that I ever wanted to build forever, then I'd probably do it. But, like, I don't want to throw money into non-cardboard when I don't have all the cards. $20 cardboard. for everything is your line? <laughs>
0: That's the line. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of paying money for database rows. I did it for a month. Um, they just, I bought some insert statements. And <laughs> I, uh, I got shops, and I sort of played it for a month, and the interface was miserable. Uh, the, I mean, the, just the actual GUI magic of, of the program was miserable. The way that the program, you know, triggers everything. How everything worked to me was miserable. And then finally, the, the, sort of the last straw was I just, I just didn't even get the sense that I was really playing Magic. You know, there was very little in the way of bluffing your opponent, uh, staring into their soul, as my great friend would say. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff is autopilot on on MTGO, like, for example, the Dredge deck in operation, you can essentially just uh, grab a bag of opium, inject it into your arm, and just click your bazaar over and over again, and shit will just appear on your screen. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, which is fine, I guess, I just don't, To me, to me, Dredge is about focus and concentrating and remembering all your triggers, and uh, you know, being able to play it sort of in a timely manner in paper paper magic and the and the the good dredge players do that right. They don't miss their triggers. They play quickly. Uh, they assess the board quickly. That kind of thing. And then MTGO is just sort of. I just picture the Benny Hill music playing in the background as the person. <laughs> Fucking merrily clicks their bizarre over and over again, <laughs> and it's just like, and then zombies just appear, Icarids appear, wakamidas appear, and I'm just dead. So, it was just kind of a miserable experience, and uh, I gave up fun fun. after a month. <laughs> it
1: seems like for all that certain commentators want everything to be, you know, all about being skill intensive and interactive and everything. Um, it seems like playing on moto is not really the way to do that since it reminds you of well like <laughs> in terms of skill intensive it reminds you of all of your triggers it takes away your reasoning it takes away your your desire or need or whatever to watch for slow play because you have chess clock instead of your normal round times
0: Yeah I mean you, can, you just, can maybe argue that that's the only positive of yeah. you know, MTGO GO is that uh is that there is a chess clock cuz there's no way to enforce it in real magic but
1: Right I mean, yeah.
0: I'm not saying that it's
1: necessarily bad to have the chess clock model. I'm just not sure that using it as a basis for making rules in paper magic right. is correct because right, right. the game is just
0: different. It's fundamentally different. Right, right. And there's also no way to demonstrate loops in the Right.
1: Game. So oh, yeah, you're right. I'm interested in
2: playing, getting on Magic Online just to have the availability for the odd vintage match. Right. When I get home from work, I don't have to find somebody and convince them to put a deck together and play I would just be able to go online and play against Dredger shops
0: yeah you'd think you would but the, <laughs> at the time that I got it, it now it's a little more popular at the time that I bought it for about a month uh, you know, the events were barely firing it, even now and we'll get into this when we, when we eventually get on the fucking topic but um, the, you know, even some of the four O the dailies basically they feel like the dailies to me feel like the same 20 or 30 guys at a store because, you know, it's not... It's the same people, you know, piloting their pet deck uh, over and over and over again, you know. Like, you can look at the Magic Online results for a couple of months and see who busted up all the dailies, and it's you know, you're like, oh, Doomsday, top, eight, top four six times. And, well, it's just the same guy, you know, because yeah. this is all basically one store, you know. Um, the same so guy I, who can play in a sequence of seven spells consistently. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... I don't know. So fundamentally, I don't, I, a, I'm don't. ignorant of a lot of what happens on Magic Online. I've read up on the statistics, what's been winning, that kind of stuff. Um, but in terms of getting back on our topic and the, and the first question, which is the rationale, you have to think, I would have to think at this point that a lot of Wizards of the Coast decision-making is coming from results uh, or feedback from Magic Online. And... This is a big deal. This is probably the first year where we're going to really feel the impact of how online vintage impacts us, and I'll say us because none of us play Magic Online in the paper world. And uh, I think there's we already touched on a few of the differences, and I'm not sure that it's a good thing for us in the paper world because, um, you know, we, like, like you said certain decks just are not playable due to the constraints of the program. Um, the other big thing is, and this is just a fact of, I guess, uh, what do you want to call it, playtest or proxy, you know, I'd say the majority of the paper vintage tournaments that take place in the world are proxy. I would say the majority are. Um, and so you have different cost restrictions. I haven't checked lately, but I think the Dredge deck online is like 100 bucks or something. Um, and that won't buy you, like, a Tundra in real life. So, <laughs> y- you know, you have this weird dichotomy between, you know, uh, uh, between cost models. Uh, conversely, some things are super expensive online. I think it's a uh, misdirection is the one everybody makes fun of is some absurd amount of money, whereas misdirection is, like, a dollar in paper. Um, and, the, and then the last part is, uh, is dovetailing magic online into vintage Super League. Vintage Super League is, I guess you could say, the premier platform for vintage in terms of exposure to people who have no idea what vintage is all about, who don't play vintage, and uh, VSL, much like the dailies, is a small group of guys playing vintage who are, you know, super, super good magic players um, in a vacuum or, or in other formats who play magic uh, for our benefit and for our free entertainment on Tuesday nights, so... But these these guys have really loud voices, um, and they definitely have opinions about what is, I guess, fun, what is interesting, uh, what should what decks should be playable, and um, it's not always necessarily what I agree with. I think you um, put on a
1: key word there when you said what is fun.
0: Yeah, fun, fun. I feel like this latest restriction, I feel like their rationale, it may have been based on statistics because when you look at some of the magic numbers from January and February, another thing to remember is that the, the banning restricted uh, decision is done three to four weeks in advance of the announcement. And the reason that that happens, at least now, is that uh, there's actual hard coding that has to happen in Magic Online to, to deal with it in some cases. So, um, the decision to restrict Lodestone Golem likely happened sometime in in uh, early March. Um, so, if if they were really looking at uh, Magic Online data, most notably the big monthly tournament now, which is referred to as the Power 9 Challenge, um, you know the january february power nine challenge would have weighed heavily on the decision um just for reference the january one got 104 players and the february one got 83 players which honestly for for the level of um for the way that magic is magic online is accessible those numbers are pretty pitiful um you know, given that, you you know, you see tournaments much larger than that in, in regional vintage tournaments um, or legacy tournaments, so... But anyway... I, I would
2: yeah. think most of the vintage crowd on Magic Online is going to be people who aren't like you. You know, you play vintage, you played Magic forever. You're not particularly interested in this online interface. Screw that. So I would think a lot of people in these tournaments are probably just your
0: newer, standard players. modern players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be. I, I, uh, I know some people. You know, there's some notable names in the vintage community that do play in these these uh, online tournaments, and then there are those that abstain. But you know, from Watsy's perspective, they 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 may see it all as data, and you know. Um, You know, looking at February's Power 9 Challenge, you had 83 players. You had, uh, if you lump workshops together, and um, I want to thank Diofan from the source who went through the trouble of rewatching the matches. Uh, They published the top 16 deck lists, but if you actually wanted to get a feel for the field, you had to go back and watch replays of all these miserable uh, um, Magic Online matches. Um, And so they went and got through the exercise of doing that. So that's the reason we even have this data is because these guys actually busted their ass to go and do it. So thank you to those guys. Um, But the breakdown was um, out of the 83 players that played, 19 people played some variant of Mishra's Workshop. Um, Seven, so that's um, 19 divided by 83, calculator, calc, calc, dividing... That is uh, 23% of the field. So 23% of the field was Mistress Workshop decks. Um, The win percentage of those decks uh, was 61%, which is high. Um, If you discount Mirrors, it's 66%, which I think is a more interesting um, metric. Uh, Gush was 17 out of the 83 players, and its win percentage was 51%. Um, and if you want to call Big Blue another bucket, um, you know, so that covers, like, Tezzeret, Grixis Control, that kind of stuff. Um, that was five players. That win percentage was 40. Um, and Oath was seven, uh, seven folks out of the field with a win percentage of 37%. Dredge was 12 out of the 83 And Dredge's win percentage was 48.4%. Um, and so I can kind of see if I'm Wizards and I'm looking at, for me, what's the most recent Power 9 challenge results, I might look at 19 players with a 66% winning percentage against uh, discounting uh, Mirrors and say that that's a dominant deck, um... That being said, it's an 83-man event, um, and, you I mean, know. It's, not, it's not a
1: Grand Prix. It's not a... Right. Because it's never going to be a Grand Prix advantage, obviously. Right. It's, it, not, it, it's way too small a sample size.
2: We had that eight-man in um, D.C. that was four Shops decks, three Blue decks, <laughs> and one Modern deck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah just I played just against Shops
2: three times. Yeah, nice night for a walk. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't get to cast that card because it's two into
0: spheres. Uh, in my defense, you had no basic. Or did you have a basic land in your deck? I can't remember.
2: Yeah, I think you strip mine it. was it? No, I had to. Uh, uh, what's the Phyrexian green spell? Remember that? You got excited when I did that? Oh, yeah, that was humiliating. You had to noxious, noxious Revival back, some shitty land that I just stripped again. You, you'd wastelanded it. It was my last land. I needed a land, and you had another wasteland to play. And I kind of <laughs> had to do it to play any spells the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, you plow-undered yourself just to get... just to have the potential to potentially cast spells down the line. Yes. Nice. Yeah. So we're joined by um, a Team Tusk member and... One time or two times, Star City top eight competitor Greg Mitchell? I can't remember. One time chance. Four time. Four? Holy shit. Did you top eight a modern or something?
3: No, man. I top eighted, uh with TES, one with Bug Dover, top four with Bug Dover, and uh, maybe it's only three
0: times. <laughs> Are you fucking lying, bitch?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, uh, thanks for letting me join you.
0: Yeah, yeah, so uh, we covered um, barbecue as our first topic, uh, and we're just sort of getting into the meat.
3: Yeah, well, I, I think the tail end of the metagame breakdown, that's yeah. from, uh, the Power 9 challenge,
0: right? Right, so, you know, the February Power 9 challenge, we would we, we, were, we would assume that that would be the, the latest data set that a, that a decision maker at the DCI was making this decision about three or four weeks ago would have had access to
3: is it a rumor that it takes a month for the Moto developers to uh, to implement the ban list, or is that, like, actually confirmed?
0: Uh, it was confirmed on Twitter that the decision is made three to four weeks ahead of the announcement. Now, whether or not that three to four... And it, it, he alluded that it, um, that it had to do with Magic Online. Now, whether or not it's actually Magic Online that needs that length of time to reconfigure a WPF form or whatever is going on behind the scenes at Moto to, uh, to implement a ban, yeah, I, I don't really know they didn't actually say that it takes four months to hard code a restriction or a ban but you would think that that's the case, right? Yeah, like as
3: there's a lot of Wizards employees here uh, in Seattle and no one has anything positive to say about working for Magic Online <laughs> uh, the median salary, de- uh, salary for, for a developer in Seattle is something like ninety thousand, and I think they pay forty or fifty thousand. So that's like barely cost of living. It's not good. That's, they don't get good talent. Doesn't
1: that seem like you would trend to get, like, tend to uh, uh, get like the lower or lower performing and or least ambitious people, uh, aside from those who just have the dream of living for, of working for wizards?
3: Yeah, exactly. So right, so
1: I see you studied
0: at the University of Phoenix online. <laughs> well, hey, hey don't
1: talk, don't talk about that. We know of Phoenix. Yeah, that, that's true.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what I I do know that at some point it may still be the case that the that the app was developed in WPF, which is basically a business desktop framework created by Microsoft to do like data entry forms apps, which it's it's an okay framework for doing that kind of crap, but essentially they're implementing a video game, so uh, you know, it's not like it's uh, all dynamic and pixel-based, you know, it's, it's...
3: Yeah, and it's been yeah. deprecated twice now, I think. Like, I think there's two successor technologies.
0: Yeah, yeah. WPF is not a skill set I necessarily want on my resume uh, as a technologist right now. But but I digress. Even if they're just hard coding all the shit in Fortran behind the scenes, it, it does seem like they need a, a, a little bit of a lead time to implement. But really all that, that, that means for our discussion is that the data set that they would have been eyeballing would have been a little staler than the more recent ones. Um, so if, if people had sort of adapted to whatever the latest shop deck is, and it had fallen back in the line, which... You know, it looks like now it's it's win percentage is somewhere slightly below 50%. Um, that you know maybe this maybe they would have uh, taken a different tact. Um, yeah. so, so I'm speaking as an admitted blue mage here,
3: but uh, even if the win percent is 30 is is 50% and it makes up 20 to 30% of the field, I think that there is an argument that that's not healthy and good for the format.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what you want to call, uh, how you want to group your decks. So, if we take a look at the other side of the coin, um, Mental Misstep is played in 70.75% of the decks on Moto, and it has a relative dominance of 67.45%. So... Do you want to say that the card or the tactic mental... And, oh, just keep in mind, Force of Will, its it's inbred cousin is right behind it. at 64% of the decks play Force of Will um, with a deck dominance of 63%. And those numbers come from MTG Goldfish, which is just... Um, uh, basically, that's just a troller for all the dailies. Um, so that's only looking at... Um, I believe they only publish 4 o lists. Is that right? I'll have to go look. Um, uh, but I, was, I think published from Leagues. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, go on.
3: It really, it really comes down to what you value in a format. Like, I don't think anyone believes that Wizards makes these decisions based on numbers, right? Like, they certainly have never given us indication that it's evidence-based.
0: No, this is true. Um, my, my thesis was that they did it more on outcry. Right, so if,
3: you're, if your evaluation metric for a format is how unpleasant it is, Like, that's obviously subjective, but they think they know best.
0: I mean, if that were the case, though, I just... Me, personally, I don't get why Bizarre of Baghdad Go or Orchard Mox Oath, which is the exact same hypergeometric distribution as Shop Mox Golem Go, is any more or less fun or interesting. I mean, I've picked my cards up far more times... To, to Orchard Mox Oath than I have to um, Shot Mox Golem, simply because Chalice isn't around. It. Sorry, I should say that in the last year or so, or not year, but eight or nine months, I've you know, I felt like Shot Mox Golem was, since the percentage of just having Land Mox Plow is exactly the same, assuming you're actually playing removal in your deck.
1: Well, the thing is, if you look at the announcement, uh, they actually, you know, the first sentence is that they continue to see an imbalanced metagame. Uh, and that Mishra's workshop decks are significantly overrepresented, which, I mean, they don't define what would constitute correctly represented, but the implication is that they have some number in mind of what would constitute the ideal amount of workshop decks, I guess. But I, I, I mean, there's no definition given on, like, where that's coming from exactly. So, I mean, my only imagining is that they're, I guess, pulling from Modo, but because, I mean, none of the paper events that we've been able to see any evidence of, like, Show any correlation to that to speak of, or at least not by our definitions that I've heard anyone describe.
3: Yeah, Zach, you're you're exactly right. I, my guess for like where they want that line to be is maybe 15% of the field. And if you look at Moto, it's usually at least 30. It looks like that Power Nine. It was 50% of the field, roughly. So you pretty strong argument if you don't like the shop's play style, which Wizards doesn't seem to that it's uh, overrepresented.
0: Yeah, I mean, being, I'm, I mean, I'm not a shop player. I consider myself, I'll play just about anything.
1: Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take DeMantle of being a shop player. It was the only <laughs> vintage deck I owned for 12 years. Um, and. Sean's not a shop player?
0: I don't consider myself a shops player. I mean, i have audible to it at Champs the last, I don't consider myself a shops player. I have audible to it at Champs the last 2 years, <laughs> but that's not because I'm I consider myself a shops player. There just wasn't another deck that I you just happened to play shops a lot. I I mean, I definitely thought this year at Champs it was the best deck. I didn't think it was particularly close. I felt like um I felt like it was just the best deck. I mean, it's like an really
1: extension of the O'Brien school.
0: It, it is an it York. is an extension of the O'Brien school.
1: You yeah, did invent it. He has enough on that on his own.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> I, I I definitely you know I definitely think it was a tier one deck at, at at champs this year. I I nev- never actually really won anything of consequence with shops so though. The only times that I've made it through any seven plus round tournaments have been with blue decks, and I think that's telling. Like. The consistency of the restricted list plus force of will, plus, you know, plus I guess whatever's left as far as cantrips go, which is preordained at this point, um, over a long event seems to most of the time win out. I mean, if we look at the last two champs, they've both been won by oath. Um, if we look at champs, if we look at champs during the Treasure Cruise era, top eight only had one shop stack. Um, and then this past year, there were two shop decks, one of which I believe the participant had a buy. Which there were very few buys handed out for champs this year, but but uh, I believe who is it? Was it Rich Shea? Who was the other top eight competitor that got a got a uh, Paul Mastriano made top eight? Is that right? He had a buy anyway. Um, and then of course both years, Oath just won anyway. Um, so all I'm saying is if we're talking about feelings and we're talking about the feeling of losing to a broken opener, in this case, obviously being Lodestone Golem, since that's the card, they got restricted. I just don't feel like the broken opener of Shop Mox Golem is any more or less oppressive, miserable, or interesting than Shop Orchard, or sorry, Orchard Mox.
2: It is a little oh. easier to fight Oath than it is to fight Shops. Game 1? Postboard, you, you have to target Oath and cheating creatures into play. Against Shops, you have to, I mean, okay, you smash three artifacts, you're dead on, you're just still dead, you can't cast your other spells. Sorry you've wasted your time smashing artifacts.
0: Nice thing for a walk. Yes. <laughs> what, what do you think, Greg? You think, uh, compare and contrast Oath of Druids with, with a shop open, do you agree with Sean? Uh, I
3: definitely agree with you that Oath of Druids is, is miserable, but despite having won a bunch of events, it's never highly represented. And I think that goes to what Sean said. It's it's pretty easy to hate out, whereas it's very difficult to hate out Shops completely because Shops' plan is to prevent you from casting your spells. So I don't think we'll ever see more than, like, 10% Oath. It's just not possible. Whereas Shops can be overrepresented if it's too good.
0: Isn't that sort of an indictment on Oath, though? If Oath is 7% of the field but it wins champs every year or puts two one or two in the top eight, or do you just think that that's... Yeah, it's just uh, a guy got on a hot streak. I mean, granted, the, the, the deck Oath of Druids, or Oath as an archetype, when it can't find I mean, the card of Druids. I you were
2: talking about, where we're talking, okay, maybe oath's Oath is objectively just as good and impressive to the other decks, but I don't feel as bad about Oath, so it can stay.
0: Or do you think there's a gentleman's agreement? Like, a certain sub-segment of the vintage population will just simply never cast Oath of Druids. There's definitely a sub-segment of the population that will never put the card Workshop into play. Maybe. Uh, I think it's more like Splinter Twin, where, like,
3: you can do kind of decently with Oath, but you've got to find the weird angles, like Brian Kelly, for example, found a weird angle in a weird deck, and won champs with it. Uh, But I think the average Oath player isn't going to do super well. Just like Splinter Twin, for a long time, was always a reasonable deck, but, you know, you put it in the hands of a bad pilot, it doesn't do super well.
0: But do you think? I, I mean, I've seen before the I've seen a lot of new players just grab and pick up oath because you can you can win on the back of just chimping out with oath and literally just sacking you. Same, same thing
2: with twin. Oops, kill you. Yeah, yeah,
0: they, yeah. they both and have this three fun. drop on top or drop. Perpetuer. I'm a modern player. How about dredge? I mean, has anyone ever um, played against dredge and found game one to be? Interesting, interactive, or fun magic. It happens, but most people don't.
1: I mean, I think it's happened more often in Legacy than it has with Vintage Dredge, because you know, <laughs> there's just a wider uh, section available. Plus, you know, they don't have Bizarre Baghdad. So,
0: so I mean, that deck is miserable, but and it converts at a reasonable rate on Magic Online. But you know, nothing seems to be up for restriction there. I guess the issue with Dredge is you literally have to just restrict the card. I guess. You'd have to restrict. Well, bizarre, obviously, and then the whole deck is dead. And then maybe bridge, bridge, All therapy or bridge. The deck doesn't function. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I just for me the feelings sort of. I, I'm not really feelings based. I'm basically a terminator, and I just have no feelings. Um, and I didn't. I didn't really think it was. Uh, it was warranted. I felt like the other thing is that. The attitude of the people who are in pain about shops typically have all these de- cards that are just absolutely and utterly dead in their main decks um, and or aren't running. I mean, there were people on Vintage Super League crying about shop blowouts where if, if the if the opponent had simply just had Spirit Guide Thalia, they would have won. In other words, like the, the decks they were playing had no chance of beating one Wasteland and a Grizzly Bear, and it was like... But it was a shop deck's fall when in fact you you living wished for your only or you land granted for your only tropical island, you put it in play, cast no spells, pass the turning up wastelanded like you, were, <laughs> you know, you you were going to lose to Wasteland tribal kipkin. Like it made no fucking difference that the guy had sh- you know a golem. I mean I just I just felt like they weren't willing to give an inch and innovate their main decks. And and wanted to cry about a bad matchup while at the same time having you know, like kinda having their cake and eating it too. Like I want to put four missteps and I want to play a pyro and three fluster storms. Like he Sure, just, son, but
3: that's not the whole story. Uh you're like caught in this iron vice between Gush and and shops. You can't both beat shops and gush, I don't think. Like the big blue decks just got crushed on consistency and card drawing by uh by Gush. So I think that's an argument for, for uh, restricting something from Gush, maybe Gush again for the third time. <laughs> yeah,
0: <it's laughs> absurd. I mean, Gush is an absurd magic card, don't. It, but it almost feels like if I'm a Watsy employee, I don't even want to, like, fess up to the sins of the past. If I have to restrict a card for the third time, regardless of the fact that I, whoever's there now probably wasn't the guy who restricted it the first or second time, you just look like an ass clown. <laughs> They wouldn't
2: want
0: that to happen. Yeah. Zach, what, <laughs> what do you think? You, you, you're the dedicated shops player. How do you feel about low sun golden being
1: My my feelings are hurt and sad, and I don't want to come out on the playground anymore. Because we're asking a shops player about their feelings. Because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not allowed to grab my opponent and force his head into a toilet now, uh, with as much regularity. But. That's just my feeling on it. My My trying to be objective about it, I just don't think it's justified based on the numbers or based on the fact that we've only had three months since or what, three months or six months since Chalice was restricted? How long how long, I don't know how long that was. Uh it's been yeah, so
0: recent. That would have been the release of um what's that? Sorry. Uh it was before Battle for Zendikar? Yeah, it was Battle for Zendikar, right? So that's in the fall. I think my primary... I don't even know that restricting Lodestone Golem was necessarily incorrect. My biggest problem with, with all of this... I have two huge problems. One is I feel like the voices of people who don't actually play Vintage uh, on a regular basis or know its history uh, had Sway. And maybe that's wrong, but if there's a perception about it. So you have I people like, where you would
1: get that impression.
0: well, you have people like Sam Black who say, and I quote, "You know my stance. It's absurd that workshop and bazaar are unrestricted." Um, and then, you know, he he goes on to to actually say, and this is on uh, maybe his Twitter. Yeah, it's on Twitter somewhere. He'd, uh, I don't necessarily keep up with it, but on Twitter he said, and I quote, and maybe it's gone by now, but. Uh, to me, the format was killed by unrestricting Workshop and Bazaar, which... Bizarre <laughs> has never been restricted in the history of Vintage. Um, so maybe he was talking about IC Manipulator or some other card, but the guy clearly doesn't play Vintage, which is fine. That's no crime. He plays Magic for a living and obviously has to focus on you know all these other formats. Uh, yeah,
1: you got to play formats that make money. Like, Vintage is not... Sure, a sure, yeah. Yeah, if
0: you play Magic for a living, spending time on Vintage is, is almost time spent as a hobby. Uh, you need to figure out whether or not to first bake Windrake or, um, you know, fucking Youthful Knight or whatever you, you're doing. These days. <laughs> and it's not, you know, but I feel like those voices get, they carry so much weight because those guys are, all, you know, they're really, really good at magic and they play on the highest platform in the Pro Tour. But I don't feel like those guys play any vintage and have any, you know, any idea of how, pay, how paper uh, vintage goes. I mean, goes. Any, so,
1: any subset of people that small making a decision for a much larger group is going to have problems anyway. But especially if it's people that may be really good at something, but that something is not actually what we're talking about, then it creates that, like, false air of expertise where it would be, like, taking all of Team Tusk because we're a group of dedicated Magic players and asking us what to do with, like, some block-constructed format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but my second, my second reason...
0: My, my second reason, the one is that the players who don't necessarily know Vintage obviously, if you think bizarre been restricted in the past, yeah. have a loud voice. And then the second thing is I feel like with Vintage, I, I wish Watsy would give it a little more time in between because Vintage Absolutely. moves a lot slower than Modern. Think about the number of reps that a Modern. A, you have the best deck builders in the world, best Magic players in the world, with money on the line trying to win Magic uh, Modern tournaments. Modern is played at a rate that far exceeds Vintage. I mean, the, the number of people that turn out for... Modern tournaments is greater. You have Pro Tour. You, it affects the Pro Tour, which is the marquee event for Wat, uh, for WotC. So I can understand them having a, a, a swifter form of justice for Modern. Vintage moves, for me, at a different pace. It, it's a more glacial pace. And I just would have liked to have seen this existing band-in-restricted uh, setup at least go through the next champs. Like I agree. There's just not that much vintage that takes place between... <laughs> year to year, year over year, where I felt like they could have kept it in their pants maybe for uh, for a longer period of time and and just see if we could either innovate out of it or if new printings would help. Um, because just one or two really impactful printings in Vintage can change everything.
3: Yeah, I, I sort of disagree with that. Uh, so again, coming from the basis of a pretty dedicated blue player, uh, I think they felt like they would have a big egg on their face if... Shops went on to dominate Champs again after they had restricted Chalice and not really done anything. So I think that was the position they were put in. And the data did indicate that, like, Shops was doing pretty well, more than they would have hoped for. So if they're truly trying to kill the deck, or not kill it, but make it less represented, then uh, they might have needed to take an action just so that it wouldn't happen before Champs.
0: Yeah, but if they had just held on, they would have seen the March results for the Power Night Challenge. And so you're arguing
3: that that February isn't representative, but representative, but March is.
0: I, I think that. Well, things changed. Things changed. Well, they did. I'm um, still
3: quite represented.
0: It they was, were. Well. They were, but Gush was was more represented and had a higher win percentage. So if the idea was to take the deck add. that the deck that was dominating. For example, in the March. Magic the Gathering online results. 74 players, so about the same field, right? You had 15 shop players with a win percentage of 52%. You had 18 gush players with a win percentage of 55%. And then even even more ridiculous, you had Oath with three players with a win percentage of 78%. So, like, as you move through the months, again, you don't have nearly as many vintage events as you have modern events to look at statistically. So it's right. like three months of vintage is equivalent to like three weeks of, mo- of modern. You know what I mean? And I understand that they're pinning the ban-restricted announcement to set releases, which I think is also a problem. So they're almost pressured into making this this snap decision. But I felt like if they had let it... Uh, what, when's the next set coming out? Shadows of Instrad. So we'll have... I guess what I'm asking is, would there have been another ban-restricted announcement before Champs next year? Certainly yes, right? There's going to be a... Release in the summer. I thought that that might have been a more prudent time to take a look at vintage. I just thought it was a little quick, because now if you look at the March Power Nine challenge, you realize, you know, shops just isn't that impressive. It's less than 50 percent. Uh, shops at shops versus Gush in head-to-head is 44 percent. Uh,
3: right. But what's the the field percentage? The field percentage was still at least 30 percent, wasn't it?
0: No, it was less. No, it's less. So you had 74 players. You had 15 shop decks, 18 gush decks, 14 big what we call like blue control that isn't gush. So lumping together, uh, you know, land still, um, fucking Delver, generic Delver, Grixis, uh, not Delver, uh, Painter, uh, those those Tesserit thought thoughtcast decks. So that's 14 players. That's what we'll just call blue control, which grossly underperformed Gush. Gush gush is a blue core deck, 18 players, win percentage 55%. All other blue control that is an Oath, 14 players with a win percentage of 40%. So to your earlier argument, if you're playing blue and you're not playing Gush, you're just a fucking donkey. You're a mule for the fucking tournament.
3: Yeah, I, I really think that the problem is not Shops. So I understand Shops being annoying. Uh, and I understand why they banned it. I'm not upset about it, but whatever. It might have been misreasoned. The real problem definitely is Gush because you have these decks that have 15 mana sources plus, what, five moxes maybe if you're playing Mentor? Right. Like the old big blue control decks had easily 25, 26, maybe as many as 30 mana sources. Much better against shops. Uh, So I think, like, Gush pushing those other blue decks out of the format is
0: the bigger problem, which is what we're going to see. Well, do you know who lost in the top eight uh, of that March Power 9 against Shops? No. Randy (laughs) Buehler. So there's your conspiracy theory. Randy tweets on the 26th of March, I am so tired of turn one Lodestone Golem, even if my deck does have ten removal spells for it, plus Force of Will. Still scary and unfun.
1: Yeah, see, unfun is the key word there, I think. You know, it wouldn't. It, it, if it were something that was cool, then I don't think it would be as big of a deal. But you know, if we combine unfun with defeat, then that becomes the issue. You know, depending on who you're asking, what counts as unfun. Um, but go, going back to before, like when we we're talking about the the power nine results, it's not that seeing the March result would invalidate February. Uh, it's just that any number of results you can add, particularly to a very very small pool, uh, is going to add uh, more information to base the decision on. It just seems like that was too short a time and not enough you know, not enough uh, data to make that
0: decision. But I don't know. Yeah, hmm. yeah. so, I, you know, I wonder if, and this is, I'm just, now we'll never know, but I wonder if they had let it go until the next release, which, you know, is another three or four months down the road, if you would have seen the trend continue with sort of, like you said, Rock and Hard Place, the format being Shops and Gush, and maybe this restriction still happens, but it happens along with Gush, you know. Uh, or if you want to restrict a creature, which it just seems fucking absurd to me, you restrict Mentor, which just seems absurd to me too. I can't even yeah, imagine awesome. that happening. But I mean, what else do you restrict? Preordain? Why? At that point, the the I mean that 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 that, that makes. Mana base is less consistent, don't you think they just replace it with Cataxian Probe or something? I mean, I just, what else do you restrict? You know what I mean? I would, I would what start saying, with kind of yeah. by trying to find something
1: to unrestrict instead to see if you can, if you can rebalance by adding something to a deck that you think is underrepresented somehow.
0: Man, I, I, I don't know what candidates. I don't, I, I'm in the Vintage Restricted list. Candidates for unrestriction are pretty lean. Yeah. Uh, mind you, Twist uh, restricted? Could I mean, are, are you? which one?
3: Mind Twist, right?
0: Mind, mind Twist has been unrestricted for, like, since you were in high school. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> oh. it's, not, it's not good. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like, Windfall? Uh, windfall in the play is pretty brutal. Uh, people have talked about things like Memory Jar... I don't think that's safe. I think anything with the number seven on it should likely just stay on the restricted list. That's probably
1: better to stay. I was thinking like Ponder or something like that, which, I mean, having it doesn't help against the Gush decks, but it squeezes the number of cantrips that you can play.
0: I uh, think the Gush decks just snap, set their preordains on fire and play four Ponders.
1: Right, I mean, it improves them a little bit, but I think given the fact that the, the non-Gush blue decks... You know, are relying on I don't know thirst for knowledge or whatever. Well, they tried,
0: right? That was the whole point of gifts and thirst coming off. Is that yeah. is that big blue can't compete with gush? Thus, we will unrestrict these four mana turds. And yeah. as Sean Sch- French found out, they just essentially sit in your hand while you get fucking demolished.
1: Exactly. Like I think I think you know it, you can't. I don't know what you could pull that doesn't help gush if it's going to help the other blue decks. But if it's something that helps the other blue decks more then maybe that's beneficial. Um, I don't know, I mean...
3: It's it a could... structural thing. Like, Gush yeah. allows you to play so few mana sources. It's effectively the Delver of Vintage, but with actual card draw. So it's really hard for me to imagine anything that could come off that would allow you to play a different style of deck that wouldn't just turn into a low-land Gush control deck.
1: Yeah, I guess I could see that. I mean, again, I'm... I'm not sure that I've ever sleeved a gush in an actual magic tournament outside of playing Legacy Stasis, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, not, no, that doesn't happen because that was never illegal in Legacy. Never mind. Uh, must have been a vintage Stasis before I owned the card Mishra's Workshop.
0: So yeah, I, I would definitely play gush in Stasis. That, that yeah. is my exception. <laughs> That's not true. I've gushed into hot tokens for my Mana Gorge Hydra.
1: I mean, I've been playing this Turdstorm deck. I'm probably going to play once <laughs> Golem is gone to see if I can learn how to use that mechanic in real life. But, you know...
3: Can, uh, So I think that's a good segue. Can we can we move on past uh the banning?
0: Yeah, yeah, sorry. So like I had, Where did, I had, where,
3: we, where do we go from here?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I had I had two more sub-subjects. One was well, what's the outcome for for a workshop deck besides just jumping off a bridge? Um and then, you know, who are the winners and losers? At least take a guess at who are the winners and losers.
3: Sean, yeah, so what, I did, what like, did, Yeah. I like that you mentioned Managord or Hydra because I think it's actually a huge winner. Yeah. If the format is all Storm and Mentor, Mana Gorger just runs over the Mentor decks.
0: It does, and it also gives you, in my opinion, you should be playing black, and black gives you the best tools to fight Mentor pretty universally.
2: The black version that I copied from you and played a lot of uh, does not lose to Oath.
0: Yeah, you do not lose to Oath because (laughs) because you have Decay and other removal, you have a million Counterspells, you have Thoughtseize, And then if tokens are a problem, you have all the black tools to just annihilate tokens. Like, I had a mostly
2: dead sideboard, because for some reason I had all the token hosers, and I would, like, slam one, and then play my Hydra, and then they'd make a demon. It's like, well, that's bad. And then I would just kill them through the
3: demon. (laughs) (laughs) This one has a jump
0: block, and you still get to trample through? That's pretty funny.
2: Yeah, try to draw seven. see,
0: See what happens. And some of the narrow red answers that normally work versus mentor don't necessarily work versus the hydra. Um, I mean you can get got with sudden shock, but um, once the hydra gets a couple of counters on him, basically any red solution to him is just dog shit. Right. Another cool
3: thing that mentor or sorry, that hydra opens up is a rug deck. I don't think there's ever been a reasonable vintage rug deck since what maybe the days of wearbear?
0: Well, so, there was a Tarmogoyf rogue deck that top-aided um, and beat Sean, who was on budget, I believe, in the that first... That guy was so loud. <laughs> that guy was a fucking sack, also. Like, he's playing three mox rug, and, like, in both games he pulls, I believe, either one or both of his moxes. I can't remember. He was I wasteland him. He fetches in response. I slam Mind Sensor off of
2: Spirit Guides. His fetch resolves. He hits. He gushes, saving his lands.
0: Yes, yes. This is all on camera, by the way, on the fucking Guard Titan channel. You just had like six outs and he hit one. <laughs> yeah, he was also French and had a mullet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, back to your point, Greg. Maybe a maybe a rug Hydra deck. I I hate losing access to black because, like, I just feel like having tendrils gives you a different way to attack. You know, and I don't know. Just having a way to win without creatures is, is pretty sweet, and then having access to tutors is sweet, and then black just absolutely mauls Oath, and it fucking mauls tokens.
3: Yeah, Oath is a big problem, uh, but I think the mentor decks, not playing black even when they had access to it, there's like a Grixis Stelver Cabal Therapy deck that doesn't play Yogwell or Tendrils. I think that's a pretty strong indictment against those cards in today's meta. They're just not consistent enough. If you have them stuck in hand, you're not producing tokens, you're not getting value. And in a in a blue gush deck, all of your cards have to do something when you draw them. Or be pitched to force.
2: So which cards are bad? You just named a launch. I'm very confused. Abrupt decay, I <laughs> think I is called.
3: Uh, no, will and tendrils, I think, are will strangely enough bad in today's meta because of Gush.
2: I mean I could see tendrils, but will is always good.
3: It's it's not though. You have to have you have to have at least usually four to five mana. And then uh, also stuff in the graveyard, treasure cruise and dig through time are still really good. And yeah. you get to play Snapcaster if you don't uh, play Gut, play Will.
0: Yeah, or Baby Jace, like yeah, dude, yeah. I think uh, I think that the uh, so that's so that may be one potential winner loser. Maybe another loser is Dredge, and and just just from the perspective of let's just say that people carve their shop's hate down to, like, three to four cards in their sideboard, which I think is a mistake, but if, if you're down to four cards in your sideboard against shops, then maybe maybe you play extra dredge hate. I don't know. I
1: think that's probably true. I mean, you know, you, you, those are the two big boogeymen in the format for so long, so, you know, if you're doing what everyone thinks is going to get rid of one of them, which I don't think it will, it'll just decrease the presence and the uh, uh, power a little bit, or force to change strategies, but you know, you're you're gonna naturally say, well, if I have these, you know, like reserve hate slots, then you know, I might as well. If if you don't already have a really good dredge matchup somehow, then you might you, know, you might as well throw some extra in there for it. Yeah. You know, unless it's just gigabytes and you don't expect to see that.
0: You know, the other thing is that there aren't a lot of cards that uh, cut across shops and something else. <clears throat> Mana does, but like there are cards that cut across oath and dredge, right? So. Priest in your sideboard cuts across two decks. Cage cuts across two decks. Yeah. Or if you're Sand Black, you just put sideboard cards in and then against a uh, Storm player with seven cards in his hand, just cast your Mentor instead of winning the game with Stony Silence and having Power Blast up. Well,
1: but, but I mean, in Legacy, it, it, he might have another turn because yeah. of, I don't know, wishes.
0: Uh, anyway. I'll stop poking.
1: <laughs> I think I think the other uh, thing to remember, though, or the other deck that's going to lose out some, is one that you mentioned before, is just like any of the relatively low-powered hate bear decks. Yeah.
3: So you think the biggest losers are the hate set? Like with a with a narrower target, like not having to, to shoot for both gush and shots, Don't you think they get better?
1: I think it's possible if you build them that way, but they they have to. Laser focus on it, and I don't think that that matchup is ever going to be quite as good as their matchups were against shops in a lot of cases. Because it, with a lot of the gush decks, like I think they're good, they're going to get too far ahead. I mean, I'll have to test it to find out more, but I'm not good at testing things in our shops, so you know I'll have to see what it looks like. But having a deck that is your like your natural target in the field uh suddenly drop I think is gonna cause some problems you know for the for the hate bears decks which in a way kind of hurts the format because those were some of the cheaper decks to build so hopefully that doesn't keep
0: people from playing or you know anything like that but they, they got they, kicked in the nuts by the chalice restriction too so that you know this is oh that's true too yeah you know, that was a commonly played card in a lot of the hate decks you would just play chalice and for the purpose of hosing moxes so yeah I don't I don't I mean you know Hate Bears isn't a popular deck when you look at it as a percentage yeah. of the field, but it is a popular deck in paper magic, especially in paper sanctioned magic, right? So like yeah. at Champs, for example, you probably have an, a slight over-representation of Hate Bears. And the red-white one or the mono-white one or Junk or whatever, and you are hoping – I mean, what we talked about the field at Champs last year was – Almost 30% shops. So you had a 30% chance of sitting down if you just decided to play three or four katakis in your deck against sitting, you know, sitting across from a shops player and um, having a, I'd say, a good matchup, if not an, a really good matchup. I think I think it was really good overall
1: if you, uh, uh, you know, if you built it that way. You could you could make workshops a, not a buy ever because I mean it's workshops, but you, know, you could you could do better against workshops on average I think than basically anything else probably.
0: So does, so Greg, Sean, do you think Gush wins too? I mean, it was already as of going into March, it was clear, it was the best deck on Magic Online, it got no restrictions, and its biggest predator just got hosed. I mean, how, how could Gush not then be also a winner?
3: Yeah, Sean, go ahead.
0: Sean French. Know. Oh, you don't cast Gush? I All do with right.
2: a Hydra, I mean, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you're talking about the ones with mentors and the one red, one color sorcery that reads, you lose the game. So I don't, I don't know how they fare. <laughs> All right, I'll guessing. talk about it.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Gush is, is by far the most dominant. Uh, I, so Storm and Gush were the two pe- decks that people are talking about. But Mindbraid Trap is very reasonable when you expect a lot of Gush mirrors because it's pretty easy to activate the condition. And, like, there's going to be a lot of stack battles. So having another free counterspell that also has, like, a chance to hit their Ancestral Recall or dig through time they responded to a counterspell with is pretty sweet. Uh, And there's not really a single card or, like, a single set of cards that stops Gush Cold. I played... There is one, actually. His name is fucking Teague. (laughs) Yeah, but he costs two instead of (laughs) one or zero.
1: Yeah, but you, you would still play him. You would just adapt to playing, you know... Quad Spirit Guide and Emerald and Pearl and have a at least a reasonable chance of turn oneing Teague fairly often, but okay. So it's not, the, it's step not the
3: question I posed to, to you Zach, like what, how does the uh, the hate bear's deck change? And that's got to be part of the part of the answer, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's the bigger one is you 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 remove or at least decrease your Teagues. Um, I don't think you cut out pride mages because sometimes you just want to stone rain people and he basically just becomes fulminator mage with exalted. Well he also but... is
0: game one good game against oath I mean yeah
1: he's a good game anytime against oath but especially game one like just you know take take shit and go home but um, no it, it, more Ga and I think even more meddling mage uh, becomes a thing now because you if you play bant, which is what I usually play if I'm playing hate bears
0: then, you know, you just, you meddling mage on Gush half the time. You know, or Plow, time or you just, just meddling, meddling mage... Yeah. If it's Mentor, they're just playing Plow. Yeah. You just meddling mage Plow, and then Gatic T can't be killed. Well, if they're know? playing Mentor... Actually, sometimes I just meddling mage Mentor, and they can't fucking... No, really, if they're playing Mentor, you just meddling mage
1: Mentor, and then try to fight them over removal spells. Like, I would just play, you know, two or three meddling mages on whatever card they can actually beat me with, and then just turn 2-2 sideways. Like, you know, you can gush all day long, but without the ability to remove these two-twos or play a win-con of some kind, like,
0: you know, you're, you're going to die. And but. another interesting thing, Greg, you brought up the Counterspell mix. Like, so the Counterspell mix is pretty inbred. Like, cards like Spell Pierce and Spell Snare have sort of fallen the wayside, and now m- Misstep, as indicated by the Goldfish numbers, is just absolutely ubiquitous. So, like, if you play a card like Gaddictig or Meddling Mage, you're talking about the deck might have, like, four to six main deck answers to it, four forces and a couple of plows, that's pretty
3: lean. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's the problem of, a, of an inbred metagame. So sounds like we're thinking hate bears might be well positioned.
0: I know against Storm, the deck still has game. I mean, there, there are at least two, um, barring Chain of Vapor, and again, you can just fight over the Chain of Vapor, but... Um, I believe a Resolved Aegis of the Gods and or Resolved Gaddock Teague beats the average Internet Tendrils list cold like they can't actually do anything um, barring like a Chain of Vapor. So, you know, you beat Storm. um, You have good game main deck against Oath. And I think you just play Stony Silence to to continue the mana screw.
3: Yeah, so as long as you get a turn, it should be golden.
0: Well, you still play. You can play Force of Will and Gaddictig. I mean, there's no shame in it. I mean, I've played Bant before with like a Gaddictig that I could Greensun for, and then play Force of Will anyway, just because Force of Will. You know, I, yeah. I there's probably some some build that's more more uh, more Gaddictigs versus just tutoring up one or whatever. But yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I ran
1: into was deciding on some sort of number of. Uh... Uh, Thalia to play because like against a lot of decks Thalia is ridiculous. But the thing I kept running into was me playing Thalia and them having a removal spell, you know, having a you know, bolt or swords or whatever, and then me just looking at the mental misstep in my hand with no mana up. So you know you got you got to deal with that. But I mean that doesn't affect other matchups near as much. But it's it just affects how you're going to build it. But I think Teague is Teague is the man going forward, or is the enemy as Brian Plattenberg will refer to him. <laughs>
3: Yeah. So what, is... what about Shops? Uh, I think Shops is not dead. I think we, we talked about that a little bit. I would love for Espresso Shops to come back. Uh, I think that's a cool build. So That's an old one with uh, Null Rods and Smokestacks. Maybe not together.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I think they do go together, actually. I do. I think I think, uh, I think the generic answer is, as a Shops pilot or a deck constructor, I think now you either have to go really, really, really fast. I said this after the Chalice Restriction. You have to either go really, really, really fast, or you have to go misery grind for crucible, 4 smoke stack, three or four null rod, that kind of build. Because yeah. like being in the middle now is seems pointless to me without the golem. You you lost a sphere and a clock, so you either need to increase the clock or increase increase the the mana denial.
1: I, I usually ended up playing Karn instead of Null Rod. You know, cause you can still eat Moxes with him, but then he just turns into a headshot if you have Coercive Portals or something. But yeah, I mean, I think Shops is still going to be fine. It's just annoying to have to, you know, lose your best man, so to speak. But
3: is uh, is the Genesis Chamber like skull Clamp deck playable? I would love for it to be. Yeah, the
0: thirty-six That's chambers cool. is is explosive. It just um, you know, it's it has, a, it has a, a couple of problems. One, it's a shop deck game one where Mental Misstep has text, which is depressing.
2: <laughs>
0: um, so, you know, you can take a look at that deck, which still I think almost everyone who played that deck still played four golems. I could just I could see actually just getting rid of the thorns, getting rid of the golems and playing Mental Missteps to try to resolve your skull clamp and get your engine online. And like at that point, you can, you can outdraw Gush with uh, either Clamp, Mer, uh, Mer Retriever, Clamp, Genesis Chamber, um, you know, that kind of deck. You also can play Gaeus Cradle in that deck, which gets really absurd really fast. Um, but that, that would be an example of a, of a shop build that's just trying to go way, way, way faster. Another example would be take three Lodestone Golems, set them on fire, put Lightning Greaves in your deck, and just play Metalworker. And then yeah. just play four Caverns and just try to go faster. Slash Panther. I think Slash Panther is a piece of shit, but I know Zach likes him. I mean, if he trampled and had First Strike, I might play him, but... That'd be pretty the, good.
1: If it was trample or First Strike, either one, it would be ridiculous, but... Well,
3: um, so pretty much if it were more like Porcelain Legionnaire, who actually is playable.
1: Toilet Man's pretty good. Yeah, Toilet Man is good. I don't have Russian purple sign Toilet Man, or I would play that. He's but. not as good anymore, now that there's fewer load to First Strike to death. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's
3: true. pretty good. It plays really nicely with uh, Ravager. And mm-hmm. having played against aggro shops a lot recently, I just kind of wonder, like, how did, how did no one consider Ravager for the first, you know, ten years, eight years that it was legal? The card is insane.
1: I mean, I think people have played it. It just hasn't been as big of a thing as it was now. But, I mean, I remember at least occasionally seeing people playing Ravager Triskelion, like, however long ago, but, I mean, throwing Hangerback Walker on top of that now is just insane.
0: You know, uh, back to the Cavern of Souls thing, if I'm playing Shops and I'm trying to go fast and I'm not playing Genesis Chambers, I think I'm just playing four Caverns. I agree. So, I'm just playing... Especially Especially with Greaves. Yeah, especially with Greaves, and now Construct. I mean, it's centered so heavily on Construct right now. You have Metalworker, you have Hangerback Walker, you have Triskelion, and you have Forgemaster, who are all Constructs. And if you just dump three Golems, put three Lightning Greaves in, there are some pretty insane openers you can have. I think that the the risk-reward, because you have less spheres, you know, there's just less ways to protect your Metalworker, but in a sense, Lightning Greaves protects your Metalworker. For, for what it's worth, Mere Battlesphere is also a Construct, which... <laughs> Is a very funny man to drop and immediately 12-someone in
1: the dome with.
0: Yeah, so maybe that's a direction you can go. A, a wise man once told me the key is the metal worker. <laughs> <laughs> a key. I'm very sad that he will not be able to join us for, uh, for the stakes this year. Yeah, I immediately emailed Tomas upon hearing of Lodestone Golem's restriction just to make sure that he wasn't, like, perched up on a bridge somewhere in Munich about to fucking... <laughs> <laughs> about to fucking dive to his fucking death. Well, so, uh, what the, the opposite of going fast would be then just to go slow. Like you said, espresso stacks. I mean, Shop Mox, Smokestack, while maybe not the clock that Golem is, is still a massive fucking problem for most decks to deal with. It is.
1: I think depending on what else is in the deck, you, you just ramp up also the number of uh, coercive portals. Because I mean it's it's one where you, you you're not going to keep them from doing things, but you can come a lot closer to winning the attrition fight by just having your own personal howling mine and then drawing two prison pieces every turn and saying, you know, no you can't do that now, no you can't do that now. And, you know, find a win con however you want to. But it doesn't really matter at that point. You're winning by submission, basically.
3: Sounds like Terra Nova could make a comeback as well. If uh, if we're right about no rods, and winning by attrition being good.
0: The problem I had with the old Terra Nova decks is that it was a land-based deck that played all the lands in the world, including Ghost Quarters, and did not play the card Crucible of Worlds, which to me was just the fucking dumbest thing ever.
1: Yeah, that's, really, so, that's even four.
0: Yeah, so if I'm going in that direction, I'm playing four fucking Crucibles. Agree. So I, I my plan for in recent like months with Shops has been... My sideboard consists of like two to three expedition maps, my soul ring, and a and more lands that piss people off, because once the blue players dump their missteps, I have demonic tutor for strip mine, which is like insane.
1: You can strip mine. You can get you know against non-blue decks if they're playing, you know, or if they're playing blue but they're
0: playing mentor. You know, you can you can tabernacle with it and just punch yeah. them directly in the groin. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, that that might. Be. I still don't think I'm, I'm... I'm not that keen on playing one-drops in main decks of shop decks. It just feels bad. I don't know why. You yeah, don't, don't like think. Misstep to have text against you, and Misstep is everywhere. So if you can load your opponent's deck with
1: blanks, then, you know, go for it. I, I stole your tech of not using Soul Ring, even though Soul Ring is clearly amazing, because that's a thing to get Misstep. Yeah, Soul Ring is a piece of shit now. It's sad. I think it's fine anywhere else. It's just... In a deck that's already full of mana acceleration, having one more that might push you to keep a hand that you would otherwise throw back may not be, you know, perfect. But, yeah. All right, guys, I gotta head up.
3: All right, dude. We were just about to talk about tin fins.
0: Yeah. Do you want to guys? Do you guys want to talk about tin fins while I punch myself in the groin on mute?
1: <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, let's do that. Well, I, I actually do have to bow out after that. Um, just or I do have to bow out at this point anyway as well? So. Um, I have nothing to contribute to Tin Fin's other than my enjoyment of playing non-Tin Fin's Reanimator because <laughs> it is the simplest combo deck in the world, and I don't understand how it is good. But people just look at you like, "Oh, you cast two spells." I, I don't, I don't even. How do I do things? But you know, <laughs> Tin Fin's it re- seems like it requires sequencing and you know learning how to count storm and stuff, and I'm bad at those. Sometimes.
0: I mean, technically, you could sequence Exhum wrong. You could, like, cast the Exhum first and have no creature, and (laughs) then cast the Entomb. (laughs) Are you going to respond? No. Cool, then Entomb. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I'll catch up with you later. So I know, uh, Sean, you you bummed Greg's list for the Star City Philly, right?
3: Um, Yeah. Yeah, uh, and you gave a hilarious deck deck. It uh, sounded like you had a lot of answers for that that deck tech.
2: I like to think that I'm getting better at deck tech, so I'm still not good at it. <laughs> uh, I play, well, with, I play uh, Legacy with Nick Miller weekly, locally. So
3: so did he actually expect any any like actual answers when he asked you questions?
0: Yeah, what you came you off uh, dry as a fart in that deck tech. <laughs> Have you seen my other deck techs?
3: Yeah, they're even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, uh, uh, why would I want to play this fucking pile of shit anyway? I, I don't understand what what. Why is Tin Fin's better than traditional Reanimator, or or maybe the answer is it's not, but I enjoy it. Uh,
3: I think it's better than traditional Reanimator because traditional Reanimator has always had kind of a problem with consistency. So you would sometimes not even be able to make your combo. But let's say you did. Generously say you did. There's plenty of decks that can beat a resolved random monster now. Like, so you have four Griselbrand's and four Entombs and four uh, Careful Studies. So you have decent odds to make your brand, and most decks can't beat that unless they have Caracas. But, setting that aside, all your other dudes, for the most part, suck. Like, they're fine in good matchups. In, in matchups, but they're uh, otherwise very conditional. So Tin Fins will win through it, the common main deck hate, like Swords supply shares, Caracas, that sort of thing. Uh, it it'll, And it will more consistently find Gross brand. And then, in the sideboard, you get Mentor... Uh, what? Monastery Mentor. I keep on wanting to say Mentor of the Meek, but that's not it. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Tin Fins is actually the best Mentor deck in Legacy. So it's like a very difficult plan for other decks to beat uh, when they also have to prepare for this very fast reanimation combo deck.
0: I have no response other than (laughs) anything that involves Grizzlebrand that it doesn't involve Eureka, I don't want to be involved with. So, Sean, didn't you win an IQ or something with this pile of shit as well?
2: Yeah, I've won a couple locally. Uh, People locally or in Philly would think that just a turn two, rest in peace, is enough to beat you, but they don't get turn two, so it feels pretty good to probe, look at their hand, see that what they brought in is not going to be effective, and just kill them, and then tell them that their sideboard sucks.
0: <laughs> Are you still playing tendrils or is it just Grizzlebrand or Bust or Emircle or Bust now? I'm playing um, tendrils. Greg no,
3: I don't play tendrils because uh, I like to high-tide people. I like to combo out for, like, five minutes while they stare at me, uh, asking if I'll kill them. Because once you attack with Grizzlebrand, you have to hardcast cast Emrakul, which takes, yeah, like, three to five minutes.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I actually just concede when, like, shallow Grave resolves. <laughs> like, I don't even give the Grizzlebrand player the dignity of activating him. I just concede.
2: I've, I've gone, deep, I've Mind gone deep with the uh, shuffle my graveyard a few times when I was backed into a corner and I had to, but I guess I need to start hard casting Emmercrawl.
0: Time out. You shuffled your graveyard? Oh, you mean reshuffled your graveyard. Shuffling your graveyard is illegal, you cheater. You mean yeah. shuffling it into your library.
2: Yeah, to kill my opponent
0: I had used too many dark rituals and petals to where I had to
2: therapy myself for Emmercrawl after attacking with Grissomer and shuffle it in draw more cards to be able to tendrils them that turn <laughs> but it turns out I should have just done it like what two or three more times Craig to be able to attack or hardcast cast cool the same yeah, turn instead of tendrils
3: exactly yeah huh. pretty, and also you get I kind of for another reanimate so like you get another reanimate for a mentor postboard and main deck it's more consistent
2: I I don't know um, I don't know how I feel about Mentor. I've had some good games with it, I've had some bad, and I think I was boarding it in more often than I should have. So now I only do that pretty sparingly.
3: So now I've, I've moved on to uh, Counterbalance or Stunforge Mystic in the sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> to board your Gristlebrand deck into a Counterbalance Swords uh, of swords uh, Mentor of the Meek, Monastery Mentor, uh, sort of like combo control deck. feels very, very vintage.
0: Huh. Pedal, Underground Sea, Stoneforge Mystic, go. Get my fucking Batter Skull out of my shitty Grizzlebrand deck.
2: The last the last IQ I played in, I played against a Delver deck. I killed him, turn one of game one. Game two, he mulligans, scryes, puts it on the bottom, keeps, plays, land, Graft Digger's Cage, go. My turn was Underground Sea, Pedal Dark Rit, Mentor, Probe, Probe, Therapy with my last mana. Pass. Next turn was like, Pedal, Top, Therapy again. I just turned to him, and he's like, oh, you're playing Vintage, I I see.
3: (laughs) So, speaking of Countertop, I know you used to play Miracles. Um, I know everyone's kind of been clamoring for a Miracles ban, or, you know, Counterbalance, Top, one of those cards. Do you think they're ban-worthy? Uh, Are you happy to see no ban there?
2: I mean, I don't... I could see people having an argument against top because, oh, it's slow and I have to play against these idiots and they take forever to top and I keep drawing games because I don't know what order to cast Stoneforge Mystic in. Uh, No, I don't think any of it needs a ban, but it might get one.
0: I mean, now that the internet knows that Chalice of the Void exists, it just seems like uh, it seems like a little bit of the clamoring has has gone away about top. I, it, there's just no real way you can tell me that uh, that the problem card is top, or the problem card is always Brainstorm. So Legacy is just such a different animal because the
2: top is the card that the opponent has to sit and watch you
0: use for five
2: yeah. to thirty minutes while they have no hope of winning.
3: Yeah, also, yeah, Miracles, I'm still pretty sure is the best deck, as far as the numbers, as far as results it puts up. It's a deck that you have to expect to face, and usually is pretty tough to hate out.
0: It's, it's tough, because, you know, we have this local metagame that's, you know, Miracles is just brutally hated out, that for anyone who plays it in local Atlanta, it's like, it's not a problem, right? I mean, when a third of the field has been playing Chalice of the Void for, like, three years. It's it's not a good deck. Or it's it's a good deck, but it's it's so constrained by chalice that it's I just never we just I don't think anybody here was, locally saw it as a problem.
2: I was playing it a decent amount here and I had two Tezzeret decks in the metagame that were getting pretty annoying. I couldn't counter all their threats when they played five in a row, counterbalance didn't do much and then they'd start recurring them and they'd have chalice. And then I put a couple of Meltdowns in my sideboard. And all of a sudden, they were not a problem anymore. <laughs> oh, I see you have two artifact lands, a signet, a crucible, a Doctor Foundry, and a Sword of the Meek. Well, they're all in your graveyard.
0: They're dead. Yeah, Meltdown is a fisting. I uh, cast a Meltdown you again. Just just die. I have had the great pleasure of having the card Meltdown in my deck when Affinity was... Uh, was still a, a viable legacy deck, and my opponent, actually, because my meltdown is Korean and signed, he had to call the judge over to confirm the fact that I had, in fact, committed a one-sided Armageddon against his piece-of-shit deck with my meltdown on, like, one. It was fucking Serenity, awesome.
2: Serenity out of ten fins does even more damage. It's great. It answers
0: everything. Greg, would you like to explain to us the interaction between Serenity and Teferi's Cry?
3: I would love to. Teferi's (laughs) Realm is a world enchantment that says, on each player's upkeep, that player chooses non-aura enchantment, uh, artifact, creature, or land. All non-token permanents of the chosen type phase out. Now, as I'm sure you guys all know, phased out permanence, phase in on the upkeep. So, for example, if I were to stack the serenity trigger and then phase out all enchantments, then my opponent would not get to choose off Teferi's Realm because it's phased out. All his artifacts would be destroyed. All his enchantments would be phased out. And uh, then both would phase in on my my untap step, and I would get to do it again. So every single turn I would get to... Kill all artifacts and pay <laughs> all enchantments.
0: It's like apocalypse for an opponent's artifacts mated with the abyss and formed this fucking love child.
2: <laughs> Are there any practical uses? Like can I take this to my local tournament and Do
3: people play artifacts and enchantments?
2: Well not anymore. <laughs> they've they've kind of taken a break from legacy because I melted down all their artifacts too much.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Meltdown has a similar effect. I but the the, the Serenity Teferi's right combo is pretty fucking funny. I'd never have thought. Just phasing in general now, the way that phasing works, is so stupid. The fact that it's you're essentially supposed to ignore the card's existence. It is it is I believe the text is treat this card as so though it doesn't exist. It's just like but it's there and it's face up. Why why am I ignoring it? Because
3: Teferi took it to his hood.
0: Yeah, Teferi <laughs> fucked everything up with phasing. Once once that fucker, I don't know, pulled that out of his bag of tricks. Uh he has an aisle, do you know that? Uh, have you ever have you ever have you ever using a special action played the card Teferi's Isle?
3: I've never played Teferi's Isle. I know it exists.
0: And if they could if you could break phasing, it would be sick. There are so many cards named after Teferi. He has an imp. He has a moat. <laughs> He has a puzzle box. He has a realm, a response. He has a veil. Ooh, I need to play the response. Uh, he has a curse. Teferi's Curse has some really, really debatable artwork. It is uh, by the same guy who did Reanimate, Robert Bliss. It's like this barely clad, obese, like. Uh, I don't what even know fuck what, is he, that? what he is he, he it, he's not a human. If he is, he's a well-muscled, like, sumo wrestler, but he has no calf muscles. Anyway... Stepping
2: through time is like riding a camel. It may get you where you want to go, but the ride is <laughs> really pleasant.
0: Yeah, I think that the card hints heavily at bestiality because he's pointing to this <laughs> meek little goat on the ground and, like, I am about ba-, Basically... Tonight, and, you. Know, you. Ra- yeah, rape is no laughing matter, but he is pointing at him, like, I'm going to rape you.
3: So to like permanent ground is merging anything. into this dude's leg. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's fucked up. I like daisies, I don't even.
0: Yeah. I uh, Anyway, this card would never see the light of day. Both the rules text on it and the art would never make it past a. Uh, or so we flavor, could have serenity with this. In theory, yeah, yeah. Uh, he also has this perverted-looking imp. If you scroll down a little further here, um, to imp, and but finally, the one I was getting at is the aisle. Basically, this thing is like a blue mage's godland. The text is tap, add blue blue to your mana pool. Who doesn't want that? Like, what a deal. Teferi's Isle, manage rain, go. Like, But it enters the battlefield tap, unfortunately, and then it has phasing. So that effectively means that the first time that you'll ever get to use Teferi's Isle will be two turns Turn when you play it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, if something ever breaks phasing and is cheap and cantrips or something... Uh, Teferi's Isle might be busted. It's reserve list.
3: So does that mean you have four?
0: I know I have a German one, but um, oh. I don't think I have four German ones. It is legendary too. I have some absurd reserve list cards that you know are on the precipice of spiking. You know, assuming we get some crazy printing.
3: Speaking of spiking, did uh, did you guys see the price for ancestral vision?
0: Let me look. They,
2: they peaked at 50 I think.
3: Yep, that's right. They peaked from, I think it was $7 to $50. Jesus Christ.
0: The shittiest
3: Ancestral Recall ever made.
0: <laughs> well, is that true? Isn't there one that requires you to have like 30 cards in your graveyard? Uh,
3: Visions of Beyond, I think, might be better in the right deck.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It, does does it mean, it's pretty Not Pretty bad. Restricted. So Visions has been reprinted like twice. It's been yeah. printed in a fucking dual deck. Can't you get that at a Walmart with food stamps?
3: That was the first dual deck printed, or if not the first, one of the first. So it's, uh-huh.
0: it's actually pretty rare. Okay. It was in the dual deck anthology as well, if you want. It
2: wanted. was also in the uh, the anime art Jace for Chandra, which they re it.
0: If you want a shitty hologram on it, you can get it in the anthology. That card has a shitty hologram, and it also has the dot to tell you it's blue. Dot. <laughs> What a humiliating card to have to put in your deck. Looks like you can actually get, Greg, right now there's a Russian Near Mint one for $36. Wonderful. I, of course, have four Russian-signed ones and have for a long time. But, um, yeah, I don't care about Modern, but it's funny how cards spike. I do have at least a dozen Sword of the Meek, and as I understand it, that card has gone Plaid as well. I mean, for an uncommon, anyway. Plaid. (laughs) Plaid. That card is median TCG 20 twenty US dollars for an uncommon piece of shit equipment. That thought of the week was rare. No, it's an uncommon. Uh, maybe Thopter Foundry is rare? Thopter Foundry
2: is up too, and that's an uncommon with a
0: reprint. Thopter Foundry is an uncommon as well, yeah, with a reprint commander. And it's now $10 mid. It is now $10 mid. Modern has done so much to just Increase the value of my collection. It's outstanding. Oh.
2: But Legacy is too expensive.
0: We'll yeah, put like, Modern instead. Well, legacy is too expensive. What's Tarmoglove? Our quarterly check on Tarmoglove. probably back to two. No. Uh,
3: I think it's less than 200.
2: 140 for the Prolapse. 186 for the Good One. Uh, all right. Well, anyway.
3: All right. So, uh, any, no. any changes in uh, Legacy that. You would expect to see.
0: I mean, um, I'll give my my quarterly rant. I mean, Mind Twist has no business being on the ban list. I don't believe they should take more than one card off at a time, but I can't see any compelling reason why Mind Twist is still on the ban list. And um, I mean, you can probably throw Recruiter, Earthcraft. They're all fine cards that would likely see next to no play. And they should just take them off one at a time until something happens. I mean, I think the dragon experiment and the land tax experiment were pretty clear that, like, these cards have no text.
3: Yeah, I was more talking about the metagame. I I totally um, agree with to you that there's there's no reason for a lot of those cards, but until we get another card banned, they're not going to take one off.
0: Yeah, I think the metagame is essentially uh, recovering from Eldraziitis. I mean, I think the deck was uh, overhyped as far as um, people saying it was going to kill the format or that it was overpowered. I think a lot of people making those statements hadn't played a lot of Chalice decks and uh, maybe got a hot run and then realized, oh shit, it's still just a Chalice deck. Like, this opener is shit. I mulliganed. Oh shit, I'm on the draw. Oh shit, it's a City of Traders hand. Like, they hadn't experienced that having played the other Chalice decks. And I think they've started to realize the internal inconsistency of the Mud deck is, is as much an enemy as, you know... Miracles players adding wear Tear to their main deck. All right, yeah, I gotta head out. Alright, Sean. Sure Alright, see you later.
3: I haven't uh, seen hardly any Eldrazi decks in Seattle. I don't really know why it is. Like, we have a lot of Delver and um, decent amount of Miracles, a lot of combo, so it seems like a field that's ripe for uh, for Eldrazi. I know in Europe, they usually have a pretty similar meta to uh, to Seattle, and they've been sort of dominated by uh by Eldrazi. Much better than, than in the US.
0: I didn't even know that it was legal to buy the car chalice of the wood in the greater Seattle area with all the fucking try-hard winers that play up there.
3: <laughs> We've got a couple people who, who play it. I've seen a, a few Eldrazi players, I've seen like a couple people who play mud every week, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of blue decks.
0: I mean the, the upside to the Eldrazi deck is that it just finishes you quicker. Like the it finishes you quicker and it steals a card and that can mean all the all the difference in the world like you've played mud too i mean it it can get mana flood openers it can get metal worker do nothing openers like the creatures have a higher curve you don't have as many soul lands um so like for me the the ceiling of the eldrazi deck on the play is probably higher because it can just win so fast. Like either either chalice or just mimic mimic untap thought knot is just faster. Like the 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 rate at which you kill your opponent is like a turn and a half faster than even Metalworker can do. Um yeah so I,
3: I agree. And it was also the fastest deck to get from uh from new and developmental to deck to beat, which is pretty cool I guess.
0: In the history of the internet. Yeah. Yeah exactly. Wow. I, I think that the that the mana base is more fragile. And so like when you're looking at a mud opener, especially the mud decks that play the uh, slower lands, the um, posts, when you compare that to the Eldrazi mana base, you can get legend flooded way easier with the Eldrazi mana base. And you can also get crushed by wasteland. I think a lot easier, mostly because I obviously, two eyes don't do anything for you, right? Like, And uh, um, I guess in the mud, mud mana base, you don't really have any legendary lands. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. You
3: just have City of Traders, which kinda sucks.
0: Yeah, it City of traders does betray you occasionally. But um okay. but the Eldrazi deck also plays that, right? So
3: Yeah, it usually plays a few.
0: Yeah, so I think it's good that a chalice deck got some exposure just so people actually look at the card Chalice of the Void and realize how good it is. I just hope it doesn't get good enough to the point where mm, the bleeding causes, you know them to actually consider restricting Chalice, which I think would be a travesty in, in uh, Legacy. I would quit Legacy forever for the rest of my life.
3: Yeah, I, I agree on both points. Uh, it seems like if Eldrazi were to get extremely popular, it'd be just like, what happened in Vintage? To take it full circle.
0: Yeah, I think that the feeling of being cantrip.deck, being on the draw, and just staring at a Chalice on one has to be one of the most miserable things to deal with. I, I've done it to you a number of times, and it's... it's Got to be just miserable.
3: Oh, it is. Although yeah. sometimes I still win despite that.
0: Sure. The the other deck, I think that uh, that uh, at least in our local meta, there was a lot of Blood Moon Chalice too. And the, the Blood Moon Chalice deck beats up on the Eldrazi deck because you have so many. I mean, you basically can't. Not to say you can't beat a Blood Moon, but trying to dig out from underneath a Blood Blood Moon with that Eldrazi deck is really, really, really hard. I mean, you're casting like Goblin Piker and um essentially a really shitty hydra with uh with the endless one other than that you can't cast anything in your deck um so it beats up on it pretty hard and i i do think the i think the initial adoption i said this on an earlier podcast i maybe on an everyday eternal podcast i think the adoption of the eldrazi deck was so much more about modern players having 90% of the cards for a legacy deck and then then the deck actually being that great, you know what I mean? Especially in Philly. I mean, the anecdotal yeah. evidence was, was a lot of kids had the modern deck and either borrowed Wastelands and bought tombs, um, you know, or were a few cards away, right?
3: Yeah, what I, other- I didn't think there were a lot of uh, modern players in Europe, and I know it's huge in Europe. Um, I, I don't really know what the deal is, but I totally agree that it's good that it exists because you do have that entry from modern. Well, <laughs> not anymore, but... Had, yeah. Yeah, had the answer.
0: Yeah, I don't play a lot of modern, and I just, like, I don't have enough time in my life to commit to modern. I think the, the idea of converting modern players to legacy, though, is is um, decent. You have to have some inflow of players into your format, I guess. I don't know. I mean, Japan has a negative birth rate, and it seems like a okay place to live, so maybe it's not completely wrong, but... Um, so I, I, don't, I don't really know. Like I don't know if Visions has text and modern. I can't put my head around it. I guess there's no cascade there's no cascade spells that have text in Modern, right? They're all just the crappy ones. Yeah,
3: the crappy ones. I don't I don't really think much about modern. I don't care for the format at all. Yeah. Uh, every time I've played it I've there there's very few times where I play magic and just want to quit magic after playing eternity. <laughs> And as a rule, every time I've played Modern, I've wanted to quit Magic.
0: <laughs> I felt in Modern most of the time. I don't know if I necessarily wanted to quit Magic, but I just felt in Modern more than any other format that, like, my my experience, rules knowledge, and everything had so little bearing on what happened in the match. And uh, I was just so behoven to, like, I don't know, either the card pool or, like, Siding in cards, sideboarding for me was the most frustrating exercise in modern because there's no tutors, no card manipulation, no Sylvan Library. There's just actual stone nothing. You you just had your sideboard cards, you didn't, and you just mulliganed to find them and died. Like, it was just yeah. this and miserable that's... experience. And you
3: could argue there's a lot of that in Vintage, too. But at least in Vintage, like, you're, for the most part, interacting with someone who's reasonable to talk to, probably does something besides magic. So, like, they, <laughs> might, have a personality, like, they might have, like, other life experiences, probably. Yeah,
0: in yeah, a modern, uh, you're, you're getting, getting some modern. city millennial grinder who you just want to throw through a plate glass window. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah, and a bunch, of,
3: a bunch of casuals who, like, transitioned because their pet standard deck rotated and they can still beat you, which is, like, really, really frustrating.
0: Yeah, losing to, like, some random casual on holyday.deck, deck. It that that would be uh, that might be the end of my magic uh, career as well. But uh, yeah, I don't really want to talk about modern anymore. So yeah,
3: anything anyway, left on your agenda?
0: Um, I think that was pretty much pretty much it. I don't really. We uh,
3: have a line item about barbecue, but
0: we covered bar- that in the beginning. Yeah, Zach just um, got back from Texas, so we had him uh, give us a rundown on the difference between Texas barbecue. And Georgia barbecue. You live in Seattle where there's no good barbecue.
3: That's right. I could give you the, the rundown <laughs> of Seattle barbecue and it's shit.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't even consider going to a, a fucking... I mean, like, it's it's just so foreign to me to think about. I, really, anywhere on the West Coast, I can't imagine going to anything other than, like, Korean barbecue, I guess. And even that, Atlanta has the best Korean barbecue in the country. So. It does.
3: I miss the Atlanta Korean barbecue. The, uh... What do we call it? Five Sluts? That place?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... Yeah, five slots um, Where every music video always features at least five slots.
3: It was a Korean barbecue place where they had a must've been like three hundred inch projected screen <laughs> uh, of like K-pop videos, which of course are scantily clad girls or guys. Sometimes tough to tell the difference.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. got men with nice hair and then scantily clad women all singing the same exact song over and over again, usually in leather and/or plastic clothing. <laughs> or the one fat dude that has the rap song, the the Gangnam guy, he would occasionally oh, yeah. cut into the loop. Yeah, we have the best Korean barbecue here. We have really, really good Korean food. I read somewhere that Atlanta is now the largest Korean population in the United States. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, they've been busy. So, uh, shout out to Yido Jang, our lone Korean member <laughs> of Team Tusk. <laughs> he, he is always there for us when we want our Korean cards translated. Like, the fact that... Um, ancient tomb translates in Korean as old people grave. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Um, Yeah, so that's it. So, uh, you know, as far as the schedule goes and the, uh, we don't really have a whole lot to look forward to until Columbus, which I believe is in June, right? Is it GP Columbus? Is the big legacy GP?
3: Uh, I think you're right. I'm not going to that one.
0: I am... Probably not going either. I'm not really enthralled with the organizer. They've given almost no information about the event. I think they just put up the hotels recently, maybe. But, I mean, uh, professional event services is not who I want running my my GP.
3: They've taken a lot of flack. I don't think they run uh, very well-organized events or well-run events. I'm thinking about going to Chiba uh, just because I've never been to Japan.
0: Uh, Chiba is no, Legacy also? Yeah, yeah, Legacy. So really interesting, last year I, b- I believe the constraint in Japan is that um, the size of the venues is severely limited as opposed to the United States where we stole the land from the native people and have plenty of room to build giant convention centers. So um, Japan last year, they had or Kyoto, So it's, is that two years ago? It's the 32 for 32 brainstorm. Two years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah that right. that's sold out. Like that was a big deal. Um you know, yeah,
3: I think well before uh even well like, before. Yeah. Equal. Yeah.
0: So I would be careful there. Well now the, the cool thing is is that one is not the same weekend, right? That's in November. Chiba's in November. Okay, yeah, it's in November. I just, I just it up. I mean
3: uh the, the big thing that's holding us that's holding me back is I'm hundred percent committed to eternal weekend and they haven't yeah. released it yet. Yes, apparently it's not uh, it's not the organizer itself, himself, it's uh, Wizards. They just haven't deigned to tell him what weekend
0: it can be. Correct. He has promised the community at least six months' notice, which for us in the U.S. is fine. Like We can book flights and get off of work. I think it's going to hamper the ability of our friends from Europe, though, to come over because those guys in Japan, as I understand it, those guys have to get notice a lot further, and then, of course, their plane tickets need to be booked Way, way, way in advance. So it kind of sucks for those guys. I heard a rumor that they were attempting to pair our US vintage champs and legacy champs with an event in Europe, but I I hadn't really, um, you know, that was just through the grapevine from the organizer of Eternal Weekend and some other people around the internet. But I don't know if I like the idea of that. I like, I love seeing the European guys come over here. Um, To me, it's part of the fun. And then um, I think if they did an Eternal, weekend in Europe, I think a cool idea would be to put it completely opposite the calendar of the U.S. one so that uh, we could go over there, you know what I mean, and hang out with those guys and play. I think that would be really fun.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, from Wizards' perspective, I doubt they want to devote two weekends a year to eternal coverage. Um, True, It's just not really their MO. Uh, no. but well, they, 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 all- didn't,
0: they didn't actually... The, I believe that the organizers did all the coverage. They lent Randy Bueller, right? Or oh, I guess they do lend their Twitch channel. Uh, so yeah, exactly.
3: They have to lend their Twitch channel and their homepage. Which okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not. I don't think it's that big of a commitment, but uh, I'm sure they'd rather promote like sealed GP or something.
0: Right. Um, the other event that might be of of value is eternal extravaganza, which I believe is a week away from the Columbus GP. So unless you want to take a couple of weeks off work and just go on a magic bender, you, those might be exclusive. Eternal extravaganza will be interesting because I, it, I think it'll be the first, maybe I'm getting it, uh transposed with the New York stack exchange. It'll be the first quote unquote major vintage event, uh, uh, post a uh, golem killing. Oh, oh, so cool. much, oh, so much a golem. So I, I might go to that. The nice thing about uh, Eternal Extravaganza, it's got a decent payout, uh, should be a smaller size. Su- so I think the EV is better than like a GP. You get two tournaments basically on um, on one weekend. So, um, you know, you if you scrub out a Legacy, which I'm bound to do, you at least get another event to go try, whereas at a Legacy GP, if you scrub out on day one, you know, you're, you're boned for another tournament. Although when organizers like Channel Fireball and Star City do it, they always have vintage events, so I don't feel so bad. I don't,
3: yeah. Like if, if you're, if you care about the pro tour dream, uh, well, you probably shouldn't be playing eternal formats, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a selling point for GPs. I, I agree with you. Eternal extravaganza sounds really cool. Um, I'm not going to make it out this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll probably make it just because the flight will be 200 bucks and it's, uh, it's actually not in a bombed out strip mall, uh, where the last one was, it's actually at a, Bombed out normal mall, um, but closer to Allentown, which is it's an okay place to hang out. Uh, they got a couple of actual hotels there now, whereas four or five years ago they didn't. So I think Sean's – you know, Sean French's game to go, and I imagine we'll probably try to make it up there. New, I probably won't do New York Stack Exchange just because um, it's also pretty close to this uh, – to the date. Eternal extravaganza culminates in – oh, June 18th to 19th, $15,000 tournament. Yeah, on that weekend. So – Probably go try and do that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'll play. I'll, we have actually sanctioned FNM Vintage this Friday, so I'll, uh, it'll be my f- it'll be the first tournament. It'll likely be the first streamed Vintage event that that uh, Lodestone Golem is not legal in, or oh, is cool. restricted in. Yeah,
3: yeah. Our uh, our Vintage FNM's died. It turns out that a bunch of adults with like social lives and stuff don't tend to have free Fridays consistently, so our Vintage FNM petered out.
0: Holy shit, Atlanta can support 15, 20-person sanctioned F&M vintage and Seattle's died? That That's news. It's shocking, yeah. Oh, well, anyway. Well, we'll see how it goes this Friday, and uh, maybe I'll have some uh, relevant data to report back on after having a four-round uh, semi-casual Friday night of vintage. So. Nice. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for casting.
3: Yeah, thanks for listening, guys.
0: All right. Take care.